Hello and welcome to Your Money. My name is Susie Jones, your host, along with Peg Webb and Bruce Helmer. If you have a financial question for today's speakers, Bruce or Peg, you can call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that is 1-888-6-ADVICE. You can also email your questions to yourmoney at wealthenhancement.com. But for the next hour, you can call or text your questions to 651-461-9226. Now, once again, is the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and financial advisor, Bruce Helmer, and senior vice president and financial advisor, Peg Webb. Welcome to both of you. Good morning, everyone. Hello, Susie. Hello, Peg. Uh, good to be with you, as always. Uh, and Susie, I'm, uh, you know, I I always like your input and your questions. Sometimes you do a great job of probably asking some of the same questions that listeners might have. And today, in particular, in the second half of the show, when we uh, hopefully let listeners uh, take us where they want to go, uh, you might have some thoughts about today's topic. And I got just like, the first thing I should say, this is not a happy topic, but it's a reality that we're dealing with in our practice as financial advisors, and 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 it starts with the pandemic. Again, unfortunately, this thing that has ruled our lives the last couple of years has infiltrated our lives again. Because of the pandemic, we're seeing divorce rates climb. People that were you know forced to be together in the shelter in place, the the stress, the pressure on the relationship. This is a financial talk show. We know that one of the leading causes of divorce when divorces happen is oftentimes disagreements about money. And and over a million people have died so far in this country due to this pandemic. And so many of those, the vast majority of those, were coupled, either married or had a significant other. And so our topic is suddenly single where either you've lost a spouse suddenly due to the pandemic or other reasons, or you've gone through a divorce. And I I think today we'd like to try to give some advice to maybe uh, prevent divorce, uh, some ideas, some financial planning ideas to find compromise, to be able to, to make your relationship work. But if it does happen to you, if you lost someone to the pandemic, or again, life it, you can lose people other ways too, accidents, cancer, and so forth. But all of this has accelerated due to the pandemic. We're seeing staggering increase in divorce numbers, and again, over a million people have died. So, Peg, like I said, not a very happy topic, but a realistic thing that listeners need to deal with. Well, and it's it's been a realistic thing, COVID or no COVID, uh, for our entire career because um, – Normally in couples, and whether you're married or your partners, uh, one of you is going to leave this earth before the other. And then we always have uh, worked and helped people with divorces because, you know, the statistic, you know, 50% of the people out there um, get divorced. I still have a hard time believing that it's that high, but, um, you know, we go with the stats. So let's just talk a little bit about divorce and widowhood and and what we deal with. Um, you know, divorce rates actually are down now. They're down um, to about 39%. So as we talk about COVID and people uh, being together, I have to say my personal situation, I 
had not been with my husband solid like I was during COVID. And I, and I actually woke up one day and said, Bruce, wow, we really are compatible. We do get along after all these decades when you're both running with your heads cut off. He said, oh, this is kind of enjoyable. So when it comes to divorce, um, you know, the specifically divorces did skyrocket, though. I know my experience was a good one, but with people being together, uh, it all of a sudden peaked again. And, you know, a lot of times it is about money. And we'll get into that more so when we talk um, through divorce and, and how that relates to the job, Bruce, that you and I do. When it comes to widowhood, um, this is, I used to do workshops, Bruce, about, you know, uh, women, you have got to prepare because 90% of women out there are probably going to be, you know, single people. And that's just reality. Now, it's changing a little bit, um, but the guys usually leave us um, before women. So we have, we're accustomed to preparing couples uh, in, in getting ready, whether there's one that's going to be surviving, whether that's the male or whether it's the female. Now, one tactic that we use, and, and, and I just want to kind of make a bold statement before we get into the details, is when the clients come in for reviews, we have what's called a cash flow summary. And that summary has columns. You know, it's his, hers, it could be hers, hers, it could be his, his. But we know what income is coming from each um, person in that relationship. So if it's his, it could be a pension, it could be Social Security. If it's hers, it could be Social Security and a pension. But what happens is, is if, if you get divorced or if you, um, you know, are widowed one day, that income from both parties does not, you know, you don't have it anymore. So one of the things that with Social Security is that you get the higher of the two. Like one is going to disappear, which is pretty dramatic. And then when it comes to pensions, Bruce, a lot of times people will choose the 50% survivor. So what that means is you no longer will get 100% of that pension, you'll get half. So when we do these reviews, I like to pretend one is passed away. And where is that supplemental income going to come from? Now, I don't always walk through this with the client, but it's in our preparation of these reviews you know, um, to be prepared if something happened to one of them and have the resources to keep the quality of life and enjoyment that they had together to be able to continue on um, in the same fashion. Bruce? Yeah, the, uh, so let's do this, Peg. I'm going to suggest, so there, it seems to me that we've got two broad categories here. So again, under the, the our, our topic today, suddenly single, um, you're suddenly single either because of a divorce or you're suddenly single because you, you've lost your partner. And I want, to, I want to break it down by category because from a financial planning perspective, what you do or if it's preventable um, is going to be uh, impacted by whether we're talking divorce or widowhood. So let's, let's split it by those two broad categories. And then let, let's talk about some of the challenges 
if if it's a divorce versus some of the challenges if it's widowhood and then at the end maybe let's talk about some financial strategic planning that can help in either situation or even maybe prevent divorce what can we do to be proactive to make the relationship work so so we're not fighting about money and that's not one of the contributing factors peg yeah, I talked a little bit about divorce already, about some of the stats, and it's up, it's down, it's sideways. Um, but it's interesting, too, Bruce, that a lot of these newlywed well, two things. Um, people aren't getting married, you know, statistically as much as when uh, we were younger and, and got married. So people are delaying that in life. But during the pandemic, too, it was a lot of these newlyweds we're actually getting divorced within the first year, which was I thought was kind of interesting. And when it comes to widowhood, um, and I mentioned this kind of too, uh, many men out there are widowers, but there's just so many more women that end up being a widow at some time in their life. So statistically, we tend to I tend to kind of look at the assumption that the woman is going to be there longer. And and then the um, the widows, this is kind of interesting, too, are more more likely to remain widows as opposed to remarrying. So uh, those stats all are real out there. I, I'm not crazy about talking about stats so much as the real job you and I do, Bruce, and that is the challenges, as you mentioned. So going through divorce, I would say this is even worse, you know, than losing a spouse, not mentally or that kind of thing for us as we're thinking about finances, because here's just a couple reasons of, you know, uh, how it affects, you know, the number one, they, they come into the marriage and maybe they're in their marriage and one is a spender and one is a saver. We see this all the time. You don't have identical attitudes on, on money. And so just co-mingling those two types of people, savers and spenders, is difficult. And we deal with that because we're crunching the numbers and going through cash flow, that kind of thing. And then mismatched financial priorities. You know, one actually wants to put that big, beautiful deck on the house, and the other one, you know, would love to save half of it and maybe pick something else. Credit cards. Credit cards didn't even really exist when I was young. But today, it's so much easier to go get um, credit. And you actually don't need both of you to sign off on, on getting credit. You can open your own card without, you know, talking to the other one. And then there is some, um, and, and I still see this within my brothers and sisters, where they keep their own checking account. It's his and it's hers. And I mean, they've been married 20 years. Um, and then some people keep secret bank accounts because they don't want them to know, oh, I want to go buy this $500 driver golf club, but that's not going to fly. So <laughs> maybe if I just put maybe if I just put the money over here, you know, it won't even no one will notice. And then just going over, you know, over on budgets. And even if you work together and have a budget, we deal with that, too. Like they just bust through the budget and they're like, oh, this is only a one time thing. And um, so there's a lot of stress when it comes to money and and one wanting this and the other one not wanting that. And so 
we kind of suggest that if you're not talking to your advisor about, you know, money and budgeting and having a conversation in front of maybe a neutral person, we highly recommend doing that. Bruce? Yeah, well, so a lot of the things on your list there with divorce, those are things that I I would have on my list, too, that I um, see from clients. And but again, it doesn't have to be that way. And and we'll get in. uh, I think we've got like six tips to uh, for for, uh, before we're done here for people to be able to uh, prepare if they do become suddenly single. But again, uh, part of my goal today is, you know, maybe there's some advice to prevent that from happening. And I think if we sum all this up with one word, it's communication. I think sometimes people think money is a taboo subject. It's something that we're not supposed to talk about. It's somehow, I don't know, uh, bad behavior or inappropriate to talk money. But a a married couple or even not married, a, a committed couple, which by the way, gets back to some of the divorce rate stuff too. People are are living together before marrying now more than you know a generation ago that that affects things but whether whether you're married or in a committed relationship you've got to you've got to talk about financial things and the one thing big that you didn't mention and you're actually big on this personally is control so if if you're coupled and one works outside the home and the other doesn't or maybe you both work but one has considerably more income does that impact psychologically that the, that the higher income earner thinks that somehow they are entitled to make the financial decisions and the other one resents that and says, that's not fair. You, you get to make more money because I'm the primary caregiver at home or what, whatever reason. I see that in a lot of relationships also. But I, I think, you know, the, the one single word is just communication. And then if you do talk, we can find compromise on most of these issues. If somebody says, well, I really want that driver and it's not in the budget, but you know, I called my financial advisor and he or she says, you know, we, we, we can afford it and we can, or we can afford a vacation. I'm not going to buy the driver, but I'm going to apply the money maybe to a, you and I going on vacation together and, and you decide that's a better idea anyway and better for the relationship and more fun. Just, I mean, just, there's there's ways to solve these things if you talk to each other. Now, on the other hand, widowhood, there's you know there's probably nothing you can do that's going to be you know a higher power's will. If somebody leaves this world, you can't prevent that. Um, and and just really quickly, you know, why is that impactful? I think it's impactful for a lot of reasons. It's true that if you lose someone in the relationship. They also, you lose their spending, so you don't have to replace. Now, again, this sounds very cold. I know this is very emotional. Um, we're just talking about the economics. But if, so if you lose somebody, you lose what they spend, what they consume. But some expenses are not going to go down. Your mortgage payment isn't going to go down. But now there's only one of you to make the income to make that mortgage payment. Your educational needs for your children. Uh, are not going to go away or go down. Whatever other debt that you have is not going to go down or go away just because one person dies. So some expenses will go down when there's only one person instead of two, but a lot of them will not, and that could put a lot of burden and a lot of hardship 
financially in addition to emotionally because you lost a loved one, but now there's this financial. So there's different issues, Peg, between divorce and widowhood. How do you even prepare for this? Because, again, I know there's people out there listening thinking that's not going to happen to me, but, you know, like I said, a million people plus have died so far in the pandemic, and I'm sure they said the same thing. And I'm sure a lot of divorced people say, I'm never going to get divorced. So what what are some tips or some things that we would have to help people prepare for the possibility that they might one day be suddenly single? Yeah, so a couple things. One of the things is I like I love your communication word because that's key. But as we've witnessed, Bruce, that's not always the key with these couples that we meet with either. It doesn't seem like they're on the same page when we're talking to them. So what we like to uh, promote is to be ready for the unexpected. And just like you said, that's hard, right? Picture him not here. Picture her not here. And we have to go through things like that because, number one, I already mentioned it, we have to look at cash flow. And would you live the same lifestyle if you if one of you is left or you become divorced? Because what's happening is maybe the house that you live in, you know, still has the three, four bedrooms. It's a two-story. And one of you actually wanted to stay there. You refused to leave. And then after one passes away, it's, oh, I think I want to go to that townhome or I want to go to a place where I have a lot more friends that I can interact with and not be all by myself in this house. That costs money. And maybe you have a loss of insurance and you have to replace that. The, the, the preparedness comes, though, from planning. And even when it comes to a divorce, it's not like we're sitting there, Bruce, saying, hey, if you get divorced, you need to do this, that, or the other thing. But what I can tell you is to prepare, one of the, um, one of the skills we have and one of the reasons people hire us is if indeed you are going through a divorce and you're starting to decide splitting of assets, um, people will call us to say, is this a ledger of what I'm going to get in this divorce? Is that fair for me? And whether you're a client or not a client, people utilize us to look at the finances and say, because here's the, here's the deal, Bruce. If, if there's all these IRA assets and they all have an IOU to the IRS, and then there's another bucket of money that already is after-tax money, and let's say it's 200000 that's after tax and it's 200000 that's an IRA that still has an IOU, which one would you rather get in a divorce? Well, I'd rather get the after-tax money. And sometimes people are not knowledgeable enough to know how valuable or maybe less valuable an asset is when they agree to take it. So that's another thing that Wealth Enhancement Group does, you know, to prepare. So I mentioned life insurance. You need to have a will for sure. We're always encouraging people to do that. And then really, really slow to make financial decisions after you have that big of a lifetime changing event, whether it's a divorce or you're suddenly widowed um, or even you're prepared, like you're, you know that the person's sick, and, but you're still not prepared. Clients will call me and say, guess what happened to me? And I encourage them to do that. But the first thing I tell them is, you need to do nothing 
other than spend, spend time with your family, you know, your loved ones, let them care for you. And then once all the um, activities are done and you feel ready, then call me. Because in the meantime, uh, we don't have anything immediate that we have to do. Bruce? Yeah, uh, I'll kind of take us uh, home here and throw back to you, Susie. I know we've only got about a minute left. So, um, and maybe we'll have a little more clarity in the second half to a couple of things and we'll get listeners involved. But, Peg, what you just said in terms of preparing, you mentioned life insurance, you mentioned a will, you mentioned uh, like legacy planning or succession planning. These are all subsets of comprehensive financial planning, and that's kind of where I wanted to bring us. We cover all these things of being suddenly single if we do comprehensive planning. They're in there. But again, we've talked on this show a lot over the years. Most people don't do planning. So if you do planning, you're going to be able to handle this suddenly single if it ever happens to you much, much, much better. All right, Susie, I know we're almost due for a break. That's right. We are almost due for a break in 20 seconds or so. Want to remind you once again, if you're listening, you can call or text our studio line at 651-461-9226. We've got another half hour of the show. Call or text 651-461-9226. Welcome back to the second half of Your Money. If you are listening, you can call 651-461-9226 to ask Peg and Bruce a question. If you want, you can call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week, one eight 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 six advice or email your questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. Bruce Helmer, Peg Webb, still with us, taking your calls and continuing a conversation about becoming suddenly single. Now, Bruce and Peg, we do have Sheldon on the line to ask you a question. Should we go ahead with Sheldon? Sure. Good morning. Good morning. I have, a I have a relative who has just turned 79 years old, who's filed and has collected Social Security since the age of 62, but has worked all of this time, paid into Social Security. Uh, can she refile to collect any more benefits uh, at this age, having paid in extra all of these years to increase the benefits that she receives monthly? Hey, Sheldon, thank you for listening, and thanks for a, a great question. Uh, Peg, Social Security, it sounds like she started to take it at age uh, 62. Sheldon's friend uh, started to take it at 62, but she continued to work, and now she's 79, and Sheldon's wondering if she can refile or get a mulligan or, or get a do-over or if she's going to continue to get the, the benefits she's getting now. You know, that's a good question. Um, it's kind of interesting, Bruce, in that, you know, you start out by you have to have 40 credits to get your Social Security. And if you start it early at 62, it, you are actually taking a reduced. And so I'm, I, I'm actually not sure if what I do know is if you go to SocialSecurity.gov, um, they have a great calculator on their website, which, by the way, you have to scroll down to see it. A lot of my clients are missing it because they're going on there and they see the front page, but then they don't see this calculator that I'm talking about, so they have to scroll down. 
And it actually shows you, you know, your credits and your working years and and um, that. But I'm not sure, Bruce, if they would adjust that after you're paying in and what kind of impact would that really make if you're working part time? Yeah, I'm not sure either, and I was I was hoping you would know. And, and as I rearticulated Sheldon's question, but uh, let me share what I do know. And Sheldon, I, I'm sorry, I don't know if this is going to fully. I don't think it'll fully answer the question. But there's some things I do know. The first place my brain went, Peg, as Sheldon was articulating the question, is that if she continued to work from 62 to 70. My, my concern was how much was she earning? Because if you start to draw your Social Security benefit before you hit full retirement age, which for her was probably, well, not probably, if she's 79 now, so her full retirement age was 66. Those from 62 to 66, if she made too much money, which in that time frame was probably around, they keep adjusting it for inflation, was probably only around sixteen dollars or $17,000 a year, she could have definitely had a detrimental impact to the benefits she was receiving. Once she hits full retirement age at 66, then that wouldn't have been an issue. But that's the first place my brain went, and obviously Sheldon probably can't answer that for us, doesn't know what happened to her there. The other thing I know is that Peg mentioned the 40 quarters, but then after you've hit 40 quarters, your Social Security benefit is based on your best 35 years of work history. So one of the questions, Peg, that we get a lot is, if I work part-time and now I'm not making as much money, is that going to negatively impact my benefit when I retire as opposed to later in life now I'm earning more money than ever? That's going to positively impact my benefit. But again, unless it's one of the top 35, it's not going to have a negative impact. If you had 35 good years of earnings and now you're working part-time and it doesn't crack the top 35, it doesn't reduce your income. But the idea that Sheldon brought up, I'm still working and I'm, um, I don't know if she made more money or less money, you know, from 62 to 79. But do they adjust that uh, if she has years that are in her top 35? Does she get adjustments? I don't know for sure either. My sense is that probably not. And well, I, I think you just, can. I just... Bruce, I just found the round, you know, the round table gave us kind of that cheat sheet of Social Security. Um, And they, you know, it's four or five pages. And while you were talking, I was able to look at it. I have it on my desk here. And one of the questions is, are there other ways that work can increase your benefits? So they had that on there. And here's what they said. This is a round table. Yes. Each year we receive the records for all Social Security recipients who work. Now, this is the Social Security Administration talking. If your latest year of earnings turns out to be one of your highest years, we refigure your benefit and pay you any increase due. This is an automatic process. So she doesn't have to do anything. It it happened. That's right. And maybe it's so minimal, maybe you don't even notice it. 
That's awesome. And you know what else is awesome? What a great team we are. While I, while I stalled, you were able to actually find the exact right answer. <laughs> well, I love the round table because they give us all these little facts and details so that people like you and I, all the advisors, can look up things quickly. Because we can't – oh, I can't even believe we do the job we do, Bruce, because there is so much to know. And the the resources that we have to look things up are great because – if they kept all the rules the same, I think you and I would get them all down and in being in it so long, we would have them all memorized, but they keep changing everything. So, <laughs> um, Should we take Sorry, another? Sheldon, I hope that, yeah, I hope that helps Sheldon and, and his friend. 651-461-9226. If you have a question for Peg or for Bruce, James is on the line with another question for you. James, go ahead. You're on with Bruce and Peg. Good morning. Uh, the question I have is, uh, can you give me give us some uh, health insurance options uh, in either a widowed situation or if you uh, uh, become divorced, especially when the uh, the one spouse has the health insurance in their name and then you're the spouse that didn't have the health insurance. Um, unfortunately. Uh, I lost my first wife uh, years ago in my late 40s, but uh, and she had the health insurance, but I was able to get COBRA, which uh, helped immensely. But one of the biggest risks that people have is uh, that I've heard that go bankrupt is because health insurance. So could you uh, discuss options um, for health insurance, especially when it's the surviving spouse was the one that uh, didn't have the health insurance and it was in the other spouse's uh, name? Thank you, James. It's a. I'm sorry, uh, Susie. James, that's a great question. And Peg, that is not one of the things we hit on in the first half of the show. Um, and, and I'm glad James actually asked that because it's he's spot on point. So again, people that might have joined us late, Peg and I have been talking about suddenly single. What happens to your financial situation if you go through divorce? or you become widowed, you lose your significant other, your partner. And we talked about a, a lot of things, but we did not talk about James's question. Our, our health insurance for our family is, is with uh, partner A. Partner B does not have health insurance. They're on partner A's plan. Partner A dies. Now partner B has no insurance. How do they get insurance? And James is actually absolutely correct. That can be financially devastating. That has caused people to actually go bankrupt before. That's one of the debates about politically, and I don't want to get political, but is, is, is health insurance, a should it be a right, or should it be something we have to earn and figure out you know, how to get on our own? It's a political debate between the parties, and I'm not going to take sides, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a huge issue financially, um, sometimes under the best of circumstances, but when life throws you a curveball and you lose your partner who had the health insurance, what options are available, Peg? Well, uh, the first thing is, is, is we have resources uh, where we can find, you know, in the open market, if you will, uh, some um, health insurance. It, the, the other thing is, is, you know, before you'd go bankrupt because of health insurance, and I know, you know, the, we've witnessed this firsthand where, you know, a child becomes ill or a spouse becomes ill and it's just cost prohibitive. 
But some states, like the state of Minnesota, does have some help in that if you're under a certain um, income, then you get these credits and uh, you don't have to pay the health care to the degree where somebody who has an income um, that could pay. The other thing, Bruce, is I, I feel like here's where health savings plans maybe are a, a, a plus, because traditional insurance, like we used to have as our only option, became very cost prohibitive. The annual cost that we had, even coming out of our paycheck, you know, was extremely high. So then they came out with these health savings plans. And yes, so my deduction through my payroll is a lot less. And then they develop these health savings accounts. So it could be that now the way things are, that even if a spouse passes away, hopefully they did contribute to the health savings accounts because you could put a beneficiary um, on those accounts. So those are my immediate thoughts, Bruce. Yeah, I I like everything that you just said, Peg. But uh, again, for for James and other listeners, as a, as a practical matter, now I, I'm assuming, you know, James or somebody comes to us with this issue. I would say number one, we as a firm do not actually provide health insurance uh, as a company. We outsource that to a strategic partner, but we outsource it to a strategic partner that is completely independent, that can go to the marketplace and try to help you find the most cost-effective, most appropriate policy for your circumstances. Then where we come in again is, to Peg's point, what can we do from a financial planning standpoint to legitimately, legally reduce your taxable income so that you might qualify for credits to offset some of that cost? And, you know, this is part of the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, as people commonly call it. And it's one of the flaws in the law. There's, there's certain flaws in this law. The intention was, was noble, um, but the actual uh, practicality of, of how it uses, is used has flaws. So while the law might help somebody get insurance that might not otherwise be able to get insurance, it's flawed in that the formula to determine whether or not somebody gets credits is based on income. Well, it's our job as financial advisors to take advantage of the law that's available to us. So we have clients that if you look at their balance sheet or their financial inventory, their financial statement, whatever you want to call it, they look like they are affluent people with a lot of resources and a lot of assets, but that's not a measurement of income. Income is, you know, if they're not working, where's their income coming from? Can we, can we reduce that number legally and legitimately so that they can qualify for the credits? And the answer is oftentimes, yes, we can. So, James, it's a daunting situation to be in, and it has been negatively impactful on, on thousands, if not millions, of Americans. But there probably are better opportunities today um, between uh, insurance companies that are independent that can help you find the best policy for you and the credits that might be available under under the law. So it's it's probably, or I shouldn't say probably, it might not be as bad today as it was, you know, when it happened to you in your 40s. Susie? Okay, very good. 461-9226. It's 
1-888-391-9226 if you have a question for Bruce or Peg with about seven minutes, six minutes left in the program. Um, the question is, if a person is divorced, they were married 10 years and have been divorced, say, 30 years, can that person still file or get half of the other person's Social Security benefits? Or how does that work in terms of uh, if you're divorced, do you have any right to the other person's Social Security? Yeah, that's a great question, Susie. And and, and whoever wrote that, I, I think, has a has some idea and are maybe just looking for validation because I don't think it's peg. I don't think it's a coincidence that, that they said that you were married for 10 years. 10 years is the key. Well, um, the negative is, though, if you remarry. So if you remarry right. at any age, you're unable to receive your ex-spouse's benefit. And <clears throat> so as long as you are married at least 10 years and not get remarried, um, and it's actually before age 60, then um, then you can get the, the ex-spouse's. Explain, Peg, I'm going to interrupt. Before 60, what do you mean by that? So if I'm 59 right now and I was married 10 years and I want half of my ex-husband's Social Security, I have to file for it before 60? Yeah, so if your ex-spouse has died, um, then as long as you were married or at le- for at least 10 years and did not remarry before age 60. But this, it has to, it's hinged upon whether or not that person has died. That's right. But do you ever That's have right. access to it? survivor benefits. But do you ever have access to it even if they don't die? Yes, uh, there is also there's yeah. Peg. Yeah, there's also there's there's uh, Peg is right, Susie. There's potentially we're talking about two different benefits here. We're talking right. about a survivor's benefit, which is part of Social Security, but there's also a retirement benefit. So if if your ex-spouse but you can't you can't file for part of their benefit before they file. So they're still alive and they're retired and they file and they're drawing Social Security. You can file and get 50 percent of it. But if they're not retired yet or they're retired, but they're not drawing, you can't draw before they do. Is that, I think that's right. Isn't it, Peg? Yes, it is. OK, very good. All right. Uh, other questions from listeners for six, five, one, four, six, one, nine, two, two, six. We're talking about becoming suddenly single and what you should and should not do at that time. Uh, this is another one. If we're both living and we're divorced after 25 years of marriage, can I file for and receive approximately half of his Social Security benefit before Death. Okay, so this is the same yeah, question. Okay. Yeah. That's it's yep, yeah, it's, it's the same question. It's the same same answer. The key is on on the uh, on the retirement benefit, uh, and I think it might be the same for survivor. But the key is you have to have been married ten years, and you can't have remarried. Hey Peg, I want to go quickly. Sure. Uh, and again, I know we're down to three or four minutes. Um, I know there were a couple things in the first half of the show that we didn't get to that you wanted to make sure you covered for listeners. Well, I just there's one item on our um, agenda here, and I and I skipped over it because I didn't think we'd have time. But looking at the brighter side, so the it, I'm a little biased here, but the rapid rise in labor force participation by women 
in the second half of the 20th century has just strengthened household incomes, right? Uh, 55% of all women now participate in the labor force. Um, the proportion of women in the labor force who held a college degree quadrupled. So that's exciting, too. And then um, women in 1979 made 62% of what a man made, but we have risen to 82%. And we're still working on 100%, by the way. Um, still, but for most people coping with a loss of a life, life partner, um, you know, these financial consequences can be very serious. But I see it being uh, a wonderful thing that women are out in the workforce doing a lot of these important jobs. And whether, you know, the husband dies or the wife dies, a lot of times there is some continued income that helps the family. Um, yeah, and, and I think that is significant. And again, uh, you know, to, to kind of wrap up this whole topic, this suddenly single thing is real. We're seeing it. There's, there's, there's a mountain of evidence out there. Again, a lot of it goes back to COVID and the pressures and stresses. I mean, COVID, you know, has not only had people die, it's had people lose their jobs. It's caused stress in relationships. More people are needing therapy. More people, I'm one of these, um, gained weight, are over, <laughs> overweight because of COVID. And it's had all these negative effects. And, 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 and so um, over a million people died. Most of those million people were coupled. Now there's maybe somebody alone that didn't expect to be alone. But like Peg said at the beginning of the show, these things happened, you know, even before COVID. People got sick. People had accidents. So it all comes back to financial planning. And we talked about identifying and updating and exchanging financial information. We talked about communication. We talked about maybe using a financial professional. It, it, the burden is easier if you're widowed if there was adequate life insurance, so you get an infusion of capital, uh, a will, so instructions, what happens as you do this succession planning. These are all subsets of comprehensive financial planning, and as hard as this suddenly single is, whether it's death or divorce, it becomes much, much, much more manageable if you are foresightful and you plan in advance so it's doable. So, uh, Susie, I know we're getting close to the end of our time. And let's remind people, because a number of people have questions on our text line, again, 651-461-9226. Some of them are complicated questions. I've read through some, and even they said at the onset this might be too complicated. So if you have a, a complicated question that you did not get answered today, uh, please call Wealth Enhancement at one eight 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 six advice You can do that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can also email your question to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. That's yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Bruce and Peg, have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time.